Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 124 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, my name is Byron. I'm here with my uh, buddy and former partner in crime, Gary. Hey, how's everybody doing today? Uh, doing good. Uh, we're living this uh, crime-free lifestyle now. It's, it's been great for us, Gary. Yep, I tell you, the movie Deadpool has really uh, changed our lives. So uh, <laughs> we are now crime-free. There we go. Still haven't uh, seen the movie, Gary, but uh, I'm assuming what you're saying is semi-relevant. <laughs> but uh, we've got a great show for you, my friends, this week. Uh, we're happy to bring on Jen Hall to the BJ Brink Podcast. And Jen is uh, just a very knowledgeable black belt. She's uh, um, runs the main instructor there at uh, Fifty Fifty Jiu Jitsu. So uh, uh, basically, she's the expert. She's going to be here to drop some knowledge to us and uh, help us all get a little bit better today. Yeah, it's her ideas of uh, like coaching and teaching and training, um, and, and the way I really enjoyed the way they, that they. Uh, coach and develop their new students and and bring them up and just just a lot of cool ideas that um that she shares with us you know this week and i'm um, really excited to get this to, out to the to the audience so i think that uh whether you're a coach or a, a just a jiu-jitsu practitioner um you're gonna learn a lot from jen hall today so no matter what do not take a break during this episode you cannot miss jen hall yeah if you take a break hit the pause button on your uh on your listening device, and then come back to it. Oh, right I never there. thought of that. Good idea, Byron. Yeah, that's why. That's why you call Gary. He says he can't talk. I'm listening to a podcast right now, and it's yeah. uh. And then you get to wait for like an hour, and then he comes back. You know, like yeah, Gary, use that pause button, buddy. No I problem. didn't know they had one, so thanks for the advice. It's the two vertical lines. It's similar to the the pause button you had on your cassette deck. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> like when I have to record, I record. I have to hit three buttons at the same time. <laughs> we don't want to accidentally record something. What? Say something. Oh, good times here. Um, (laughs) You got me off track. I got myself off track, I suppose, Gary. Okay. uh, We got a great show this week. Yeah, I'm just. If I get confused, I just blame. I look at you know, try to blame somebody else for what's going on. Like Byron said, when he gets confused, he tries to blame somebody else. It's never good to be confused and trying to blame somebody else, and that's why you have to check out our our Byron's audio book, your first year in BJJ. And your first year is when the confusion starts. And uh, it's a very, you know, there's so much knowledge in the sport. It's easy to get confused. And your first year in BJJ will will help you, you know, get rid of that confusion. We'll we'll walk you through your first year. Uh, One of my favorite chapters is, uh, the you know, getting ready for a tournament, if you do a tournament there in your first year. So uh, definitely check it out. Um, We got a link there in the show notes. It's only $11.99. It's just like this podcast. It's Byron talking for about two and a half hours, uh, walking you through your first year and helping you out. But it'll definitely, uh, you know, stave off some of that confusion that you can see in your first year. So check it out. Thank you, Gary. Um, speaking of not being confused about uh, maybe the show of the week that we have coming out, uh, one way you could do that and stay, you know, up to date with what's happening is hop onto our website or our Facebook page and put your email address on our email list. And every week, on a Tuesday, we send you out the show notes. You'll have all the the links to the articles, the links to the uh, interviews. Uh, you know, whoever we're interviewing, website and anything you can possibly imagine, and probably a little bit less than that. But uh, you have a recent amount, uh, all the all the show notes there for you in your uh, 
email box in your inbox, probably, or maybe in the spam folder. I don't know where it will end up. But uh, right there, delivered hot and fresh on a brick, sent through the email. Hot and fresh on a brick. A pizza oven brick. Can't beat that. There you go. But, uh, hey, speaking of being confused, you know, our, our quote of the week is from Sun Tzu, the guy who wrote The Art of War. But his quote this week is, If ignorant both of your enemy and yourself, you are certain to be in peril. And basically what he's saying is, um, you basically, if, if you're confused going into that war, if you don't have a plan, if you don't know your opponent, you need to know your opponent too. You, you can't be confused in this stuff. You're going to be in trouble. You, you, need, to, you need to have a game plan. It, it's nice to know who your opponent is. Try to figure out what they do. And uh, capitalize on your strengths and try to uh, um, you know, be stronger in certain areas and use those areas to your advantage. Yeah, I think that's one thing that uh, when we interviewed Jonathan Thomas a while back, he mentioned he generally knows his opponent and he knows what his opponent's trying to do. That's a that's a luxury that a lot of the lower belts don't have. I mean, yeah, if you compete a lot and you're competing in this, like a regional area, you're going to get the same people a few times, and that's that, that's fine. And hopefully, you learn from the last time you encountered them, and you can anticipate uh, some of the stuff. But a lot of times, you're in a bracket with like you know, ten, twenty, forty people. And you don't know these people, so you don't no, know what gets, they're trying to do. Yeah, it gets very confusing. You got so many people in there, but um, you have to also. It's important to know yourself. So, uh, like Gary said, that's like a good game plan. What am I going to do? What do I want to bring to this match and uh, and, and, and put it in front of my opponent to make them deal with this? So, uh, if you don't know what your own plan is, uh, that's that's just as bad as not knowing what your what your uh, opponent's plan is. Maybe even worse, Gary. I don't know. Sun Tzu didn't. Yeah, it could be worse. What would you say the percentage would be? Oh, uh, I usually guess C. I'm getting confused again. I'm going to blame you again. Uh, I'm guessing I was true. To confuse you. It's true. You know, Byron, you got to know your strengths. I mean, you're great on the mic. You know, that's one of your strengths. You just need to come at it full bore. So, uh, you know, back to the quote of Sun Tzu. That's who wrote that or who uh, – I guess Sun Tzu uh, – Technically speaking, didn't write down this stuff. He he passed it on uh, like a verbal journal through from generation to generation. Is what I remember from when I read that book, or right when now it's a book. But uh, anyway, yes, somebody took all that and uh, made it into a book. So uh, definitely check it out. Art of War, Sun Tzu. Kind of a big deal. Yep, very big deal. Speaking of big deal, Gary, we got an article this week. Oh, what do we got this week, Byron? This article is from a blog called Just a Girl BJJ that's a blog, and the article title is, Am I Doing Enough? Is my child working hard enough? Does he have the skills? Should he take more classes? And it's just kind of an evaluation of if you were to have a kid that's doing jiu-jitsu, you know, what, what's going on there, and, and is more better, or, um, you know, is competing the right thing, and, and how to deal with the wins and losses of a kid that's competing in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, it's hard. I think sometimes a, a lot of times, especially if, if the parents train jiu-jitsu, you know, we want our, our kids to go out there and do well. And uh, I have seen uh, some of these kids with a with ton of pressure being put on them, uh, you know, in jiu-jitsu and wrestling. It's, uh, it's uh, tough with all that pressure on you. And uh, sometimes it seems like the, the kid doesn't even really necessarily like the sport that much. They're just, uh, you know, trying to follow in mom or dad's footsteps and, uh, you know, excel at, at their favorite sport. Yeah, and 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 uh, the author Leslie uh, is coming from a nice perspective because she has uh, she does jiu-jitsu, her husband does jiu-jitsu, and they have a you know a kid that does jiu-jitsu, 
uh, or I guess they have sons, so they have uh, multiple uh, children doing jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and they do well in competition, it says that. And, uh, but yeah. she, uh, there are times, Gary, when the kid uh, goes to compete and they don't do well. You know, it could be their fault. They could have just kind of just weren't in it mentally maybe or just didn't, didn't do what or they were know. training. Yeah. I mean, they could even train great and they just have an incredible opponent on the other side of the, the mat there. Yeah, which, not uh, their fault at all. Yeah, not their fault. So um, she kind of gives advice about dealing with a kid who uh, had a tough day on the mat. You know what? Uh, really, uh, Gary, what does she recommend? <laughs> uh, to encourage, I think. You know what? One of the things she does uh, recommends there is, you know, when her kids compete, she she tries to be calm, be relaxed, uh, have a great attitude, and and most of all, just provide encouragement. Um, you know, just let them know, you know, whether you win or lose. That you know, you're still proud of them for getting out there. They're they're winners just to get out there. Not very many people have done that, but uh, you know, just providing healthy encouragement and uh, having a great attitude. Yeah, and, and further down the article, she mentioned talk about like a high rate of burnout for young teenagers in, in sports. And you know, if you think about it, yes, you want your kid to win uh, this tournament. That would be awesome. That'd be really cool. You'd be proud of them. Uh, you hopefully you'd be proud of them regardless. But that'd be a, a really neat thing for them to to have accomplished. But how much more would you like for your child to be doing jiu-jitsu in five years, in ten years, you know, as an adult doing jiu-jitsu? Uh, how much cooler is that than winning one tournament as a child? Yep, and man, how, how great is that if your kids don't burn out and you're training with them for the rest of your life? What what a great way to bond with your kids is just training with them and just having fun with them. Yeah, that's uh, that's it's a neat thing, um, and obviously it's you know if they do burn out, it you can't blame yourself necessarily. Although I think a lot of parents are to blame for that. You know, a kid loses and you and the parents you know hard on them and uh, berates them and embarrasses them and says things like that. Of course, that kid is like on the uh, highway to getting burned out. You know, not enjoying this, looking for ways out of this, uh, looking to do something else for, with their uh, ex- extracurricular activity time. Video games and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, uh, the most important thing is we don't want them to burn out. Jiu-Jitsu is a sport. We're supposed to have fun doing it. So uh, we want to make sure they do have fun and they're going to be around for a long time. And as we always talk, the, the best thing is, you know, let's grow this sport. Um, but I, I like your very last sentence or very last paragraph. Stop the pressure. Let them have fun. Let them enjoy Jiu-Jitsu. They will be the best they can be if they love and they develop their own passion for the sport. I mean, that sums it up right there with just one small paragraph. There you go. And I think as a, as a parent, you know, you could consider it like, I'm going to expose them to this in a positive way and, you know, let them let them see what it's like. And if they don't like it, maybe they'll come back to it. Maybe they won't. But um, to, to make a big deal out of it and to, to make a big deal out of competitions or, or any of it, you know, is putting a lot of pressure on these kids. And uh, and when they leave out, out of that, they probably won't come back. But, you know, kids, kids like to try things out. And that's part of being a kid. You know, you try this for this couple of weeks try that for a month you do this for a year and and then you just it's part of exploring your world and kids have a lot of that to do yep and you find what you like so uh it's a journey and uh and it's the journey is going to be made easier with supportive parents who uh provide a uh, uh, healthy pressure yep but uh, all the stuff i say uh take that with a grain of salt i don't got any kids gary so uh all the stuff gary says comes from an actual uh credible source who would that be, Byron? You, all the stuff you say. I mean, about this, oh, about having a kid and, and I like training. That. You're credible, okay. yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Byron. That means a lot. <laughs> You're coming from a position of authority on this topic. Authority. 
authority. And I respect that. I respect I like your authority. <laughs> <laughs> this is I don't know, Gary, it's if you're picking South this up. Okay, good, because I didn't know like like I don't know if you're picking that up at all, Gary, because like yeah, what are you ta- what are you talking about? This is getting weird. <laughs> so, respect my authority. There you go. Or you'll beat me with that uh baton, which I'm yep. trying to avoid that at the moment. So uh, we'll put the links to the article. Uh, just check out go, swim by the website, just a girl uh, Got a lot of uh, articles on there. She's posting. Uh, and Leslie also has a Facebook page uh, for the for the uh, for the blog there. Check it out as well. A lot of good stuff on there. So thank yep, you, Leslie, definitely. for the article. Yep, thank you. Check that article out. And Byron, I think it's time to uh, get on with the interview with Jen Hall. He is the most interesting grappler. In the world. He has only been shot once, but it was by MacGyver. MacGyver said he was out of options. He once had an accidental encounter and wounded a tiger. After the tiger was forced to tap verbally from a toehold, the tiger was healed. He remains to this day the only person living or dead to catch a tiger by the toe. The tiger paid him $50 for his medical efforts. If you come at him with 110% effort, he will put you in 50-50 guard. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Jen Hall to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Jen, welcome to the show. Great, thank you uh, for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. All right, we're happy to have you. Um, could you just give us a little quick introduction about who you are and uh, and where you train uh, to get us started here? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, my name is Jen Hall, and I'm a black belt under Ryan Hall, my husband. And I train here at 5050 um, and run the gym. So uh, I'm pretty busy and uh, just, I guess, happy to uh, to be helping you guys out. Yeah. What got you started in jujitsu? Um, kind of an interesting, um, front because I actually came through, um, a traditional Taekwondo background. I was doing that in high school and then again in college and one of my instructors was really into jujitsu and brought in a, um, a jujitsu instructor for a couple months. So I did like, I don't know, maybe like eight, I don't know, 15 classes, something like that. And then took, uh, took some time off. And when I graduated college, my Taekwondo instructor um, was telling me when I was asking about places to train where I was moving to Northern Virginia from where I was in Maryland. And he says, you know, I think you would really prefer to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu more full-time than most Taekwondo schools um, because his style was a little different. He had already been integrating some Muay Thai and self-defense and Jiu-Jitsu and Judo into his program in 2005, which was pretty unusual back then. So... Um, so I just, he suggested a jiu-jitsu school. Um, I started out at a Hoist Gracie school in uh, Northern Virginia, switched over to uh, Lloyd Irvin's after that when I started to get more into the competition scene and, um, and had, I had met Ryan and then, uh, and then I left and when he opened, uh, a little before he opened 50-50. So, and I've been here ever since. That sounds good. And you, you mentioned that you, uh, you're running the school there, like kind of the, the business side of things. Um, and not just the business side, I actually teach most of the classes right now. Well, that's great. Can, can you, like, like I think everybody who does jiu-jitsu for a little while kind of has the dream of opening their school, but I, I think a lot of times that reality, um, doesn't sit in until they actually try it and it's a little bit different than they thought. Do you have any like stories or maybe a surprise that happened to you with the, 
the business side of jujitsu or maybe the, the running a class side of things? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few things I guess that I could say, um, it is way more work than anyone realizes. And there is a lot more overhead, um, and money just, you know, going places. So people think like, Oh, if you have a hundred students and you're paying $150 a month, then you're making it, you know, all this money. And it doesn't really quite work out that way. And then even as you get more students, you have to get more instructors and more, you know, if you start thinking about growing, you start paying more rents and for more amenities and those kinds of things to make the place better. So for us, so much of our money is always going back into the gym to make it better and bigger and, um, and trying to pay good salaries so that we can keep good people around full time. Um, you know, and so it's not the big business, like, making millions like I don't know where anyone ever got the idea <laughs> making that much money running a martial arts school like Ryan always says if he went to make money he wouldn't have opened a martial arts school like he would have done something else he could have made a lot more being an engineer um so I don't know it's just I find that kind of interesting and funny um you hear about you know gyms shutting down people they take a lot of work um it can be really rewarding as long as you're willing to realize that like any other job even if you love your job there's like maybe a big portion of 20% of stuff that you just hate dealing with or you really don't like to do, but you have to do. So even in a job that you love, um, there's that. And there's also the, the fact of sometimes your training gets interrupted a lot more than when you just come in and teach or either, whether you're just a teacher or whether you're, you just come in and train, you know, every time someone comes into the room, I have to get up, get off the mat. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a round or middle of a training session, I have to go handle it. You know, someone has to go talk to them, show them around. Um, and we don't have, you know, a massive academy with a, a huge full-time, with a full-time front desk person. So for us, I end up taking on a lot of that. Um, we have uh, only one other full-time instructor here right now. We have a lot of part-time instructors. So for instance, today I was supposed to, I was supposed to drive Ryan to the airport and one of the guys can't come in uh, to teach class because he got snowed in. Uh, in DC and, um, there's just less effort from your part-time instructors or, um, or instructors who, who teach in exchange for, for training. Uh, it's not as important to them. So they're like, Oh, it's no problem. You can fill in the class. Like, yeah, I can fill in the class, but you know, it's, uh, I feel like every, every week somebody doesn't show up every week, you know, every week I'm teaching classes and sometimes last minute, like stuck in traffic. So you're basically on call for all classes, even if you're not scheduled to teach them. Yeah. So, you know, but you know, in the end, like, uh, it's nice being able to sleep in every morning and have my day start at 11 or 1130 instead of starting at 8am and it doesn't end till 11pm, but, (laughs) but it's, it's nice to be, to have some, some free time, um, at, at other times of the day that other people don't have, which is, which is nice. Um, and I guess like the other thing that I would say is uh, what was really interesting is for me as a woman in jiu-jitsu, um, I teach most of our uh, beginner classes right now and I teach uh, our fundamentals two classes right now. And I also teach a lot of our advanced classes since Ryan's doing a lot of training and traveling. Um, and I don't know, you hear a lot about it's, – it's interesting when I first started taking that over as a woman like, oh, I wonder how people will handle that, uh, a woman being in charge of their jiu-jitsu classes. But it's been really interesting. Like, I don't have any issues. Never. I never have any problems. Everyone is super respectful. They listen. Um, they train. They do exactly what I say. Uh, 
And I think that's really, really cool. <laughs> Especially I'm so small. Like they could get a, a big, strong, you know, new guy could get like a big, like attitude. Like what is this, you know, five foot two, 110 pound woman going to help me with? But they don't. They're, they're all really awesome. That's great to hear that you're being received well, and you should be. Uh, I think having a, a female instructor is uh, beneficial for a, a couple different reasons. Obviously, uh, one of the big factors of uh, being an instructor is communication, and I think that uh, many women and men communicate differently, and um, I've seen a lot of uh, people try to teach things and not – and they may be able to perform it well and, and, and do it well in competition, but to actually show it and perceive what I'm doing and, and change and help me out that way, it's always been a little bit uh, difficult for some people to do. And uh, I just think of the, the women in my life are, are great communicators, and I don't know if, if that uh, – do you feel that that affects your, the, maybe your teaching style and your coaching style? Certainly my, my approach is different. Um, Ryan has like a very kind of – uh, verbose teaching style, which generally lends to like an auditory learner. Um, and, uh, but he, he is very descriptive, um, lots of analogies. So his style is really helpful to some people. Um, but I have, uh, 15 years of, of experience coaching swimming with kids age like two to 18. So I have, um, a, sometimes a better ability to break things down more simply, uh, because sometimes you confuse beginners when you give them too much information, uh, particularly in the spot when it's an hour class. It's not like they're sitting listening to a DVD that they can rewind over and over again. Um, so, uh, I definitely think that, that, that experience helped me. I don't know if it's as a woman or just because I had 15 years of trying to break down the mechanics of swimming to you know, preschoolers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's uh, an interesting point. With your swimming, you, you just mentioned that a lot of times you would confuse the beginners with too much information. Have you seen anything like, like that in jujitsu, or is that um, something that you try to avoid? I definitely try to avoid it. I try to give um, – I actually teach adults the same way that I taught children uh, swimming and our, our kids' program that I ran for a while, um, which is just one piece of information at a time and then build and then build – and then occasionally take time to do like more similar to what Ryan does where you really deep dig deep and explain things. Um, because I do believe that if you understand why, um, then it makes it easier uh, to be able to execute uh, the techniques as long if you can understand why you do it. Uh, you don't, but again, it takes, I don't, you don't see a lot of people at a lot of academies taking a lot of time the way that Ryan will or I will to explain the why. Uh, and I think because it takes a lot of, it takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot longer to get it across. And if you're teaching an hour class, uh, and you have different people showing up every day, it's not consistent. The benefit that I had as a swim coach is it was pretty much the same kids all the time for a year. And they rarely miss classes. So in the winter, I'd have kids two times a week, the same kids all, all winter. Or in the summer, I'd have kids every day for two months. And it's so easy to get across a lot of information that way. For a class, the biggest challenge, I think, teaching a jiu-jitsu class is you have to teach uh, – you have a curriculum and you have to teach to everyone. But you have, you know, Monday, I'm trying to run through like a course through the week or through the course of two weeks um, and a month. But how many of these people – you know, how many classes did they take? How many days were in between the classes they took? What bits or pieces of information did they miss? 
um, because it was on a day that they weren't there or how much did they think about jujitsu in their off time. And so you have very different um, uh, abilities of the students to grow and add and move on their jujitsu, sometimes just based off of that. And then trying to build your class across the month or a week or however you do your curriculum can be challenging because you're not always talking to the same people. So you, you, you mentioned how you build your class over a month, a week, or the curriculum you have. So do you, you want to really make sure they understand an idea of like something you're showing them. Do you show them a technique a night, a, a week, or do you show a couple techniques that play off of the first one the same night? Or how, how do you – how does your class kind of run? So for me, um, and we have other teachers that teach, and for some of them, uh, uh, they will – we have them teaching kind of because they're pearl belts or, or brown belts teaching more what they're familiar with and working in certain positions. Uh, so I know, like, I know the strengths that those teachers have and what they're focusing on. So sometimes I try to fill in the gaps with my classes. Um, and also, uh, in general, I, I like to have something that I'm working on for the month because of that fact that not everybody's there every day and it takes a long time and you have to see something a few times before you really get it. So I really like to delve into something and make sure everybody really fully understands it before moving on. So for instance, this month we're doing, um, half guard, like a shell position with frames. And we started out a lot about moving, replacing, uh, and I, I've been going over the offensive and the defensive side and then moving on to techniques, uh, from there. And it just kind of depends on the day, what, how we're going to do that. But we pretty much start with the same concept at the beginning of every class and then branch off of it. Cool. It sounds like a great way to learn. I hope so. It seems to be making progress. It, it's more patience for the instructor because sometimes you feel like you're repeating yourself a lot, but you have to remember it's different people. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's an interesting point you, you noted about teaching a swimming um, class to people that show up every, you can see them every time, every day. That they're going to be there. Um, it's just part of their their routine. And after school, I go swim, or before school, I swim. And so you really could watch them and mold them, and, and have like a lot of control over that. In jiu-jitsu, you might see somebody a couple times a week, and they might miss a couple of classes. So um, you need to you're trying to watch out for them and make sure they're getting the message throughout the week, but also not boring the students that are there, you know, four to six times a week. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest challenge for teaching a jiu-jitsu class. If you really care about the progression of your students and how quickly they're moving along. And, um, cause I really believe, um, and I know Ryan feels the same way, uh, that the idea, like you hear a lot about the idea of a plateau in your growth in jiu-jitsu. I don't believe that that exists. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 10 years and I've never hit a plateau. Now uh, Ryan would say the same thing. Um, and that may come down to training methods and our approach. I'm not sure, but I would say that if you can't look back at your jiu-jitsu six months, like I'll watch a video from a tournament or something from six months back and I'll look at it and be like, what the heck was I doing? Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> stupid. How did I, why did I do that? That was horrible, you know, because I, now six months later learned from that tournament, I fixed the mistake and now it's so ingrained in what I'm doing that I just like, oh, I hate even watching the film because it, it makes me so annoyed. <laughs> well, yeah. But I think that's good. If you're moving on, um, you should be able to do that. Every six months, look back and think that you're a different grappler than you were six months ago. Yeah, and that's, I think people get sometimes frustrated with the plateau, but they are really looking at the short term. I mean, like, you know, comparing two weeks ago to, 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 to today or maybe a month, but in six months, 
your jiu-jitsu should be, should be changing and getting better. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. And I think most people's are, but um, it depends kind of your training methods, how you're training, what you're thinking about. What is your approach to practice? Are you really working on um, specific things? You know, it's something that we're kind of always teaching our students is don't try to win your matches. Try to work on stuff. Try to get better at something every day. Get 1% better every day so that, you know, in 100 days, you're 100% improved. Wow. It, it sounds easy to get 1% better today, you know, but as that builds, it uh, that's a huge growth over the course of a short. You know, if I get 10% better at Jiu-Jitsu, it, like, that would be it. I'd, I'd do that, you know. That's <laughs> But but to get 1% better, you know, today I study something, I drill it a little bit, and I, I focus on that when I'm actually rolling with my, my training partners and I'm not co- trying to compete with them. So if, you know, I'm trying to get better at, you know, getting somebody off my back, people are going to get on my back that day, you know, on purpose. And I'm going right. to have to work out of that. And that way um, I've gotten maybe my biggest weakness was that, that spot, and I worked on it. 1% better from that spot anyway. Yeah, I think so. That's, those, those are cool ideas, and I think they're motivational to to help maybe someone who's discouraged about feeling like they're not getting better. I think sometimes people do that, and they kind of get stuck in a rut of they do the same thing they did last week, they do the same move they did uh, a year ago. Um, is there a time when you, just need to, you like put a move kind of on the shelf for a little bit and work on something completely new and, and then work it back into your game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, sometimes someone will show you something, and for whatever reason, you know, I was talking about this one of our brown belts, who's really good and who who I started with. He was a blue belt when I started actually, and we've been training together a long time. And we talked about it. Like sometimes you, you learn a move or like he would say, Ryan would show him a move and then kind of think it was cool, but didn't really fit his game at the time. Or he was having a little bit of our time with it. And then two years later, three years later, it's a full, it just comes back like on its own almost. And he just starts doing it. It's like, Oh, and then start working on it again. And, getting better at it because now it fits, you know, cause your game, you, you build your game. And, um, at the beginning, we always talk about it here is, you know, you, you have these tools and maybe you, have you're jerry rigging things to fit because you don't have a full toolbox. You have a, a move over here and a move over there and one over there. They don't really connect. So you have to like force things together. And then as you add to your toolbox over time, and sometimes your, your, the move that you need doesn't really fit. So it seems cool or, kind of interesting but maybe it doesn't really fit what you have right now and then later on in a year or two years you have more tools and now now you can kind of like oh well, i had a drill bit but i didn't have a drill you know yeah. so yeah. <laughs> it, you, you have to have uh, the, some of the pieces sometimes for it to fit and make sense i'm trying to get like an example of this so maybe i have let's just say i have a a good guard pass i like to do and it gets me to side control and then i also like to do an arm bar from side control, but the, the two don't mesh up well. But I know both of them. Uh, but eventually, d- down the road, I might learn a second guard pass that will like put me in a good spot for that arm bar as I'm passing. You know, to to get that to to flow together. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Getting things to to fit together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, or you know, and uh, other things that we talk about here. It's um like you'll have a guy who likes to do a lot of uh, of deep half guard. And it's like, okay, you like to do a lot of deep half guard, but when they come on top, they want to do a knee cut. It's like, well, you can't go from like a, a basics, like deep half, some, or some of the, like, so they like to do a waiter sweep, let's say. So they like to do the waiter sweep. Well, you can't go from the waiter sweep to a knee cut without backing out and giving up ground you already have. So why, why would you do that? You know, like we always tell the guys, if you like to waiter sweep, you have to have an over under pass. 
You can't go to a knee cut. So, or if you do go to the knee cut, you're going to end up backing out, giving up space, creating more movement. Um, you're, you're trying to put two things together that don't really go together. You're not in position for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. You know, you, if you have to back up, you're going to more, – more likely the odds of you entering into their type of guard they like to play um, as you're doing that to go to your pass. If you keep sweeping the same position, learn to pass that spot and, uh, and you'll progress a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you um, have a fundamentals. I think you said you teach fundamentals two or one. What's the difference between the two classes, one and two? So we started this, I guess, a year and a half ago, and we are so happy. It is the best thing for beginners. We added a fundamentals one class. So we used to have just basics and advanced. So then we decided to change it so it's fundamentals one and fundamentals two. Fundamentals one is for people with six months or less jujitsu, and there's no sparring, like, full sparring in that class. So, and the curriculum is really small. It's 24 lessons. So long and just rotates. So because it's a six month curriculum. So a lot of those students, they come in, it's, there's a lot more information warming up a lot of forward roll, backward roll, shrimping every day for that class. Uh, they'll, sometimes they do separate warmups when the other group does more advanced warmups because we actually run them at the same time, two different sides of the room. So fundamentals one, uh, they have more focus on the basics and they, the coaches are take more time to explain things and make sure the students understand it. The classes are really small. Uh, the biggest we've ever had is 14. It usually hovers between like six and 10. Um, so you get a lot more personal instruction with the coach for your first six months. There is a, um, a takedown worked in every day or almost every day. So they do one takedown and two jujitsu movements uh, every day. So they're getting ex- uh, exposed to all of these ideas, but a very simplified jujitsu, more like old school jujitsu. So close guard, half guard, and a little bit of like open guard retention drills, but not really using much other open guards. Um, then we might, I think maybe we might teach them the, just like a basic butterfly guard and a sweep. That's it. Um, it's very limited to allow the students to see the same information more consistently over six months. So they have a, a base understanding of jujitsu before they move into the next level. And we've had the best success with those students since starting that. Our students have progressed more quickly to blue belt. Uh, anyone who came in in that class has been progressing more quickly seems happier. Um, they stick with jujitsu more consistently. Uh, almost everyone who tries that class signs up. Wow. Uh, since we started it, it's been the best thing that we've ever done for our academy, for the students. Um, and they, they do some, like, when I say they don't do any full sparring, it's not just technique. At the end of most classes, they'll do a little bit of back and forth, but it's really mitigated. It's not usually full speed. Um, and it's just to kind of get them the feel that things aren't as easy when the other person is trying to stop you. It might be something simple like we're going to put – well, more limited like the way we do with their kids. Okay, you're going to put them in close guard, and you're only going to fight for the top person to stand up. Okay, the bottom person doesn't do any techniques. They're just going to keep trying to pull you down, pull you down, pull you down, pull you down, pull you down. So we we they're fighting, but it's in a limited range, like more limited than even positional sparring. You mentioned that there's 20 classes and they kind of rotate. Mm-hmm. Are they in there for the entire six months, or is that just like a a limit to how long they could they're going to be in that class and they move on to the next one? 
It's a little bit of both. So um, it's a six-month membership for that program. So they're not signing up for a year or two years right off the bat, which makes it easier uh, for us business-wise to sell the program. You know, some people, they haven't done jiu-jitsu before. They don't really know if they want to commit for a year, yeah. but six months is less intimidating. Um, it's also a cheaper rate. Well, we have lower low, we have not low level, but we have purple belts teaching it. We don't usually have purple, we don't have purple belts teaching any of our other classes, only that level. Um, so it's a, it's not as an experienced instructor. Um, so it's a little bit cheaper. We also only offer three classes a week. So the max that they can attend right now is three classes. And we think that works out best, you know, for people who are coming in, starting out, it's hard to fit you know, a, a crazy schedule into a new person. We generally recommend two or three times a week at most so that it doesn't affect their life too much. They're more likely to continue long-term. And then we can move them up sometimes if they're doing really well and they're coming to all the classes. Yeah. If you're relatively athletic, relatively good shape, when you start and you attend three classes a week, you're probably ready to move up in three or four months. And we'll just move them up early if that's the case. It sounds like a good system. And you said you've had a lot of success with that, getting people to blue belts quicker, really focusing on what's good for the, the beginners in their game. I've heard a few instructors say that they don't like beginner classes because everybody gets together and they're all terrible. And I think that that's probably not the right idea as far as throwing beginners in with the advanced students and expecting them to enjoy it and get something out of it. You know, Having them in a little bit of a sheltered environment, understanding what's going on, um, I think is a better way to grow the jiu-jitsu in your area. I think so. If you keep it limited, like we said, six months less, um, you have instructors who we have non full time instructors, so they're kind of like excited to be there and really personable, really happy people. They come in after work and teach it, and they're just excited to be on the mat and having a good time. And so they're very patient. They go at the pace of those guys in the class, which I think helps a lot too. Um, so a full time instructor who's teaching twenty classes a week or something, you know, fifteen classes a week. That can become, I think it becomes monotonous to go at the slow rate. And in order for those people to learn, you have to really slow it down for them. You have to be really patient uh, to explain the same thing over and over again. And really, you don't ever get to move on because they move on. You don't move on. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is great for another reason that your purple belts are getting the opportunity to, to teach and impact other people. And it's almost like a beginner coach's class and, and really gets them to understand how to teach things and it helps them out and it it helps the instructor out as well. It sounds like, um, Oh, side so benefit. Sure. oh absolutely. I think teaching is one of the best things you can do for your jujitsu. You have to really know things. People ask you questions and you'll go, Oh my gosh, I don't know the answer to that question. I have to find out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you're a black belt, sometimes people ask me something and you're like, Oh, I'm supposed to know everything. Well, I don't. And sometimes somebody will ask me a question and I have to go, you know what? I have to ask Brian. <laughs> Yeah, you've competed quite a bit. Um, can you tell us like a little bit about your style or your game that you that you play when you're competing? Uh, sure. Um, so I actually have really gotten into um, a haleta or telus style at this point for me and my jiu-jitsu. Um, haleta is not well known. He was competing back in like the, I guess, mid-90s in Brazil. He's amazing. Um, and Ryan got some of his stuff from him that he did was like inverted and upside down. Like Coletta was like doing the tornado guard before cyborg, you know, was doing jujitsu, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, he was doing all this inverted stuff way back in the day. 
um, and, and kind of started that. It was brand new when he brought it out. And then Ryan kind of picked up some stuff watching videos from him and then taught me some things. And um, Paul Schreiner, who is a black belt at Marcelo Garcia's, taught Ryan some cro- – it's like cross grip, um, up, you know, inverted stuff. And, and he showed Ryan some of that stuff when Ryan was a purple belt. And so kind of passed more of it along to him. And, uh, and so then I started doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And then I started watching TELUS because I really like a lot of the turtle guard as well. Um, even though in IBJJF Jiu-Jitsu, they don't always give you points for sweeps. Um, I ha- actually had a situation back at the World Championships a while back, um, and I swept from from th- that position with a cross-grip, uh, turtle, kind of like like Haleta slash Telus kind of mixed thing, sweep, um, and they don't give you points because, they, you know, you didn't use, you didn't, it wasn't from an established guard. And so, I, like, I think the dumbest rule in jiu-jitsu is that you don't automatically get points for a reversal. Like, it's so stupid. So you're telling me that if I sweep you with my guard, which is easier, um, I get points. But if I sweep you with the turtle or I sweep you, you know, from the bottom of side control, which is way harder, I don't get points. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so that's, like, one of the things that kind of bothers me a little bit, but... You know, actually, I asked Telus about it one time when I was kind of frustrated, and he's like, yeah, but if you get points or you don't get points, that kind of only matters if you really care about competition jiu-jitsu. If you care about, you know, dominance, self-defense, MMA, he's like, I would use that stuff over and over anyway. I don't care about the points. And I was like, okay, that's a really good that's a really good way to look at it. Am I doing competition jiu-jitsu because I want to win, because I want to be better at scoring points? Or do I want to do my jiu-jitsu more structured around being dominant, being in control, and um, making sure I get to the top position no matter whether or not it's considered a sweep by tournament rules? Um, so I, I have kind of stuck with that system after he kind of, like, encouraged me a little bit and uh, and really like it a lot. That's cool. Uh, I like how you um, – always inter- I'm interested in – a conversation about the rules and the point system. Do you have any other rules that you would change in the current jujitsu? Um, honestly, I think that is 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 the worst rule in jujitsu, um, by, by far, uh, among all others. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, I guess otherwise, like the knee reaping rule is kind of dumb. Like the idea that your knee is going to just spontaneously explode. It's literally <laughs> like knee reaping is the same thing as a kimura and omoplata. I think a Kimura, I know way more people that have torn their shoulders and needed surgery from Kimuras, which are totally legit, than from which from heel hooks. Like our students all do knee reaping. Well, not in the beginner classes, but in the advanced classes, we encourage it. Knee reaping, learning how to move with the position, learning how to flow with it, learning how to rotate and escape. It, it's the, you're, you're maneuvering the leg the same way that you're maneuvering the arm for the other positions. So the idea that it's okay when it's an arm, which is actually um, more at risk because of the mobility of the shoulder joint than the hip and the knee are, you're more likely to recognize you're in danger um, early on. Like kids and, and beginner students recognize the danger of the knee and the hip faster oftentimes than they recognize for a Kimura, for instance, or an, or an omoplata. I see a lot of people get hurt there. Uh, so they're more quickly to notice it with their leg because you have more pressure. It's a bigger joint and it's less mobile. So it can't keep going uh, the way that the shoulder can keep going. Um, so I guess that would probably be the only other one that I would really think. I, I think it's just kind of stupid. Like 
people just don't get hurt in those that often. Yeah. It's just a Brazilian made up thing. Do you think the, the knee reaping is in there to help people either, if you, if you're reaping my knee and I know how to deal with it, I'm not going to hurt. But if I kind of go into it, you know, and, and like you spin the wrong way on a heel hook, if I, if I turn the wrong way in, when you're reaping my knee or, uh, to, so really to protect me from damaging myself or is it in there to take a lot of the power out of the, out of the leg attacks? I believe it's there to take away the power of the leg attacks. They can say whatever else they want, but you can watch old videos and there was knee reaping in jiu-jitsu way back when, before they were all using heel hooks uh, in the gi, they, you know, Brazilians would use it too. Um, it only kind of came out when more other people started entering jiu-jitsu doing well and using leg attacks that more and more things kept getting, started to get banned. Um, you know, it's like judo, you know, the Japanese banning, you know, grabbing the legs. Like, why? That's because they don't want, you know, the Americans and the uh, Russians to be doing as well. Um, you know, there's politics in any sport, no matter what it is. Uh, so I, I, I think that I don't think it has anything to do with safety at all. It's, it's just, it's much more difficult to break somebody's knee than you think. Like, you have to really get all of it. You have to really be trying. You have to know what you're doing. Uh, yeah, they could spin the wrong way, but I mean, when, when one person spins the wrong way in a, a footlock, we yell at the person who's putting on the footlock. If I spin the wrong way, when you put me in a Kimura or an Omoplata hey. and make it worse, we yell at the person jumping around and spinning. We don't yell at the person putting on the Kimura or the Omoplata. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that that's fair. I don't, I think they're, it's literally the exact same move on the other body part. But in one case, we yell at the person doing it. And in the other case, we yell at the person who's spazzing out. So that you encourage, I don't want to spend all day on the knee reaping, but you guys, uh, allow knee reaping in, in the class there. Do you guys make, obviously you have to change things when, when they go to compete. So what's the, the change there? Is it okay for this month? Be really careful not to do that. Or, you know, a couple of days ahead of time, you, you change it up and make sure that they're aware of what they can and cannot do. Or how, how do you prepare a student to compete where it's not legal? So we don't teach, um, we actually don't teach leg locks very often in our beginner class. And it has nothing to do with um, the danger. It's not really about the danger as much as it is about not wanting white belts um, and new blue belts to be dropping on legs because it's so easy to drop on other beginners' legs. We don't want them dropping on each other's legs instead of learning how to pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's that's a big thing that you'll see with, with a lot of white belts who do a lot of footlocks is then they, they kind of neglect the rest of their game because it's so much easier. So we don't teach it for those reasons. And then in the advanced class, they learn immediately because if they take a nogi advanced class, everyone's heel hooking everybody all the time. Like it's <laughs> frequent. Um, you know, as soon as they start to feel comfortable. And the students are really good about helping other students and going for them and, and trusting each other. But also, you know, it's on you to tap. You know, don't be an idiot. And that's what we tell everybody. Like, don't let your ego get in the way, you know, for this particular match. Tap, reset, try again. It's not a big deal. Um, and that way you'll learn better. And they do a really good job with it. I think a lot of it has to do with kind of constant coaching on the mat. We try to have somebody watching rounds, giving feedback, and that helps a lot. The coach has to be really involved in the class, constantly giving feedback, coaching, not just you're not there. If you approach jujitsu as a teacher, you get in the front of the room, you show the techniques, you sit down, you know, you let everybody train or you train with them. If you're a coach, the way it's like a soccer coach or a basketball coach, man, they're on the side of the – or running around in the middle of the court and field 
constantly yelling, right? Constantly correcting. And I think a coach is constantly giving feedback, constantly correcting, constantly making sure everybody's doing what they're doing. A teacher, um, oftentimes, or an instructor, you know, in the sense of like a college professor is just going to stand in the room and tell you what to do and then expect you to do it. But I, but I think that white belts and blue belts are like children. Like I always say like a white belt's like a child, a blue belt is like a teenager. <laughs> they think they know everything, but they don't. So they need your help still. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I love the example of coaching versus a teacher and that a coach is getting in there and they're running along the sidelines and a coach will occasionally take the ball and show them how they, they want it done or they'll, mm-hmm. they'll physically touch them and move their body and, and like this, you know, and a teacher stands up in front of the class and teaches to a large class of people and some of the kids get it, some don't, but, um, that's a, that's a really nice example. And, you know, like you said, um, some of the people think that they already know it all, you know, like a teenager knows everything. Of course, a teenager knows everything. Yes. But uh, it's up to the student really to be receptive to that feedback and to to take it and to, and to work on that and not just, you know, you could tell somebody like 30 times that don't do that. You need to, you know, don't go for the ankle lock all the time. You need to have a guard pass, you know, and, and they, well, my ankle lock works just fine. I get some taps. But, you know, until um, – they're, they're missing the, the lesson you're trying to show them. It's not just about getting a, a submission. They need to learn how to pass the guard. So right. a good example overall on that. I really enjoyed that. What are some things you do before you compete, um, maybe to help get you mentally ready to step on the mat? For me, um, I like to just kind of start to think about what I want to do. Um, if I know who I'm going to be fighting first, or I know somebody that I'm going to be fighting, which is really often common in my uh, tiny little divisions for the for the upper belt women. Usually, you know people or you've fought them before, so you can kind of game plan a little bit based off of what they what they're doing, what they do, what they know, um, what your matches with them in the past have gone. So a lot of times I can do that. Um, uh, so I kind of will think about it. I like to meditate on it a little bit, but I like to, I try not to think on it too hard, too much because I have a tendency to get really like nervous and in my head, which is so funny because the, one of the things I used to teach myself is like, I would tell myself, I was like, man, for a soccer game or a field hockey, I played field hockey in college. I wouldn't get nervous before a game. I was psyched. I was excited, you know, like, yeah, let's go. Like I wasn't worried about what was going to happen because it was me and my team. And something that happens sometimes with an individual sport is so much of everything is on you. And it's very easy to get too much in your own head or too nervous or too stressed out about how you're going to perform. And uh, and it's not very helpful. Um, so I've been trying uh, more now to, like, totally think about it in a different way, like with excitement, looking forward to it, being happy about it, um, you know, knowing that I did everything I needed to do to train. And, uh, and then Ryan – uh, one of um, his MMA friends up in uh, Canada, uh, Eamon Zahabi, sent him um, from a wrestling program or somebody like a, a thing to read before you compete that just like you think about it, it's like a 10-minute, takes 10 minutes to read. And so I try to read that two or three times for the three days before I compete and just kind of resets your brain, resets your mind, helps you relax and know that you don't ultimately have control over what happens. I don't have control over how well the other person does how well they perform if they're on point that day. I don't have control over whether or not the referee intentionally screws me or unintentionally screws me. Uh, I just, I don't have control over that. Whether sometimes I get like my one sweep, sometimes I get points for it, sometimes I don't. I don't get to control that. Um, my favorite one. So 
um, the idea is to just go out and perform your best, have a good time, try to be in control and be dominant as much as you can in the match. And then ultimately, if you fight well most of the time and you fight that way, the way that you can, you'll win more times than you'll lose. Um, if you're training right and you're approaching it right and, and you're able to, to release and allow yourself to, to perform at, the, at your best capacity. Um, and for me, some people like to be really clear and on point in thinking. I need to be free of thought to compete my best, completely free and just react, not thinking too much about how I'm going to do a technique or what I, what my plans are, what I'm going to do. I set my game plan. I have like one or two things I can think about and that's it. Like it's not really structured. Um, my, my competition game is very free when it's at its best. One of the hard things for somebody to grasp is that they don't have control over uh, the outcome of their match. They have, um, or at least focusing on that, the outcome is not always the best thing. To take, we talked about swimming a little bit. Let's say I'm going to go to a swimming competition tomorrow. I'm not a great swimmer. I could swim and, and you know, not drown and I'll probably get tired before I'm done. But <laughs> if I'm just compete tomorrow in swimming, I don't have control of whether I'll win or I could show up and there'll be, uh, the rest of the competitors will be, I don't know, eight year olds and, and have, you know, not ready to swim much better than me and I'll probably win. Or I could show up and there'll be people who are good at swimming better than me and I could still swim just as hard and not, not win. And it's similar in jujitsu. It's like, who's just standing across from you and how their game matches up with yours is going to affect the outcome uh, a lot. And in the, the things you've done ahead of time and whether it was the right things is, is a big deal. And, you know, you do have the ability to control how hard you, how hard you're going to fight and compete and, and focus on your effort. But, you know, you put the wrong person across the mat from you. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to, to change the outcome. It's, you know, just go out there and you get hundred percent effort. And, uh, and if it, if it's, if it's able to happen and you were able to give all your effort, um, good for you. And if you fall up, short, you know, come up short, um, that's just part of, uh, part of the day. Yeah, I mean, you, um, uh, you can, I can't control how well they perform. Uh, like I said, I can only control how well I perform. So all of my focus has to be on what, how I need to be at my best, what I need to do. My preparation for the tournament is what gets me ready for the tournament. Yeah. yeah. You know? And then you just kind of have to go in going, well, uh, I have prepared as, as best I could up until this point. And, and I've had to compete with a lot of injuries. I've had eight surgeries. Come back that I've come back from hip surgeries, knee surgeries, seat, shoulder surgeries, all of them I've come back and competed after, and um, oftentimes well below a hundred percent. I mean, well below. Like sometimes I shouldn't have been competing. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> um, but and sometimes I took losses because I I physically was unable to do things. You know, um, I, there were points in some of my matches where I literally fell over because my hip was so oh. bad I couldn't. I couldn't keep myself in a squat and I almost like the person didn't so much sweep me as I just fell over um, because my, my hips were so weak and my, my legs and um, you know, and I've lost matches for that. But if I performed to the best of my ability, you know, sometimes I've also won with way less of my physical capability. Um, you know, last year at Nogi Worlds, I was coming back after a joint hip and knee surgery uh, and then I tore my knee three weeks or four, four, four or five weeks before the tournament. So I have a torn meniscus on my other knee and then I have my bad leg and then my good leg is now also my bad leg. And, uh, and I haven't really been able to train super hard. I still couldn't, I still wasn't very strong and, uh, and I was able to, to take, to take the win anyway. Um, and, uh, and fight cause I fought my best. I fought the best mentally, uh, 
one of the best that I could ever be. And it was a close match, um, you know, because maybe partly because I wasn't all physically there. But, uh, you know, but the other girl was really good too. So like, one of my coaches that has helped me out a lot and helped me kind of get my head on straight for, for competition is Marilla Santana. Um, and he's, he's kind of a, a, a coach who's helped Leandro, who's helped Louisa. He was Luana's coach way back in the day. He's the Meows. Uh, he's helped the Meows a lot. They're, they train at his gym right now in, uh, in New York City. And, uh, and he kind of helped me, you know, one day he's had a lot of ups and downs and injuries. And, uh, and he said, you know, it's not about how, how good your body is. It's about how good your mind is. Um, if you are mentally prepared to fight, it's so much more important than being physically prepared. Um, that, that the focus at all, you know, it's good to be strong and it's important to be physically fit and all of those things. But sometimes people put too much, too much, uh, emphasis on, on strength training or, or cardio training or all these other things. When if you just train jujitsu and you get better at jujitsu and you, you train the right way and you get your mind right, your mind is the most important thing. Um, you know. It's uh, it's so much more of a mental game than a physical game, and it's easy when you have injuries and you're feeling weak or you're sick to let that take over, to let that de- deplete your mental reserves, your your emotional reserves. Um, but if you can if you can stay strong mentally and emotionally, then uh, then sometimes you can perform far beyond uh, what what you're even physically capable of at that time. Well, that's great advice for dealing with injuries and somebody. Unfortunately, you've had a lot of experience with that, and and uh, you could speak from a, a place of wisdom from that. But uh, hopefully, you'll you'll have uh, better fortune as the as time goes. You, you mentioned I have to ask you. You mentioned that um, th- there's something that you could read before competing. It takes about ten minutes. Um, could you give us a little bit more about what that was, or if that's a, it's a resource that people could find? Um, it's called Win Tomorrow, Read This Today. I have it um, saved on my other computer. <laughs> I'm trying to Google it, and I'm not having any luck, so that's interesting. It was um, a document. Um, like It was a Word doc, and it was printed out like it came from a book. Oh. Huh. I wonder it who like wrote it came that. From a book or from something, yeah. Or maybe it's something that somebody wrote up and sent around for their athletes. I'm not sure, but it came my way. Um yeah, I can't find them. I'm sorry. That's okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, if you do uh, get a hold of it, send it to me and I'll mm-hmm. – if it's okay. I don't know if it's something that uh, – I don't know, honestly, because I don't know if it's like copyrighted or anything. It was like well, – If I could figure out the book it was from, that would be a good source as well, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, I'll look, I'll look for it. I'm sure Ryan has it or I'll, I'll pull up on my other computer. Cool. Okay. I appreciate that. Um mm-hmm. Let's see, I got a couple more questions I want to get from you, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, you guys have women's classes there at Fifty Fifty. Uh, we do. We have one on every Sunday. And besides the obvious that there's women in, in the class, how is the class different, or what do you guys focus on that maybe a little different than than usual, or is it like the same exact class as a normal normal class? It's almost the same exact class um, because it's a a mixed level class. Uh, it runs maybe a little bit slower and because a lot of them only train once a week, it's a lot more review, um, every week because, you know, they just don't get, they don't train all the time, but about half of them train in the other classes as well. So they do pretty, they do pretty well. And I have a couple teenagers who take the kids classes and then also do the women's classes. Um, and, and most of the women in that class are relatively new. Most of them have been training 
um, less than two years. Uh, some, a lot of them less than one year. Um, so it's mostly white belts, a couple blue belts who come in and out. Um, and, uh, I just, cause I don't have that many blue belts that are women. I have a few and, uh, they all have busy schedules. So I've got four blue belts who compete, who train relatively regularly, who will come in and out of that class. And then the rest is white belts. But the class has about 14 people every Sunday. Um, now that's like a pretty, it's almost our average is about 12 to 14, which is awesome. I love yeah. having that many women in the group. Um, it's the most consistent, biggest group I've ever had in the, the whole time I've been teaching um, a women's class and a women's program. And I, I really owe that to them, the, the, the ladies in the group, their personalities, um, just how well they work together. And it's amazing. Like you hear a lot of times like, Sometimes, you know, it's hard to get big groups of women to, to get on the same page and, and really be encouraging and helpful. But our ladies are amazing. They are so encouraging. They have such a great training mentality. They train hard together, but they're also encouraging and helpful and just kind of laughing and having a lot of fun. You know, it's fun. I, I, it's the first place I've been, which is like being on my soccer team as a kid with all these girls who are all just like having a good time. Um, and it really feels like that every Sunday, which is a really awesome, uh, thing to have. Um, so it runs a little bit slower because just because of their levels for the most part. Um, and, uh, a little bit more focused on, on, uh, escapes, guard retention and guard recovery, uh, just being slippery and slick a little bit more attention to using, uh, always using leverage and momentum of the other person against them, them, uh, just a lot more focus on assuming that every person in that room is always fighting somebody bigger and stronger and how do they have to approach that person. So that whole class is structured around the assumption that the person fighting is going to be the weaker person by a significant amount. And the idea is so that when they move into the, the regular classes eventually, or for some of them who are training with guys a lot in the other classes, to give them something that the guys don't really know. So they're like a little bit wigglier, a little bit harder to hold down, a little bit better at, at recovery and moving and escaping. So that even if they can't always get into a dominant position um, and be submitting people, that they're always in the fight. Uh, and that keeps them coming longer. I think it keeps them happier and training, certainly like crushed and squashed as much. So all of my focus is on how would they need to train to train with the guys uh, and be and be successful at a certain point. And, uh, and so all of it is just everything that we do is we're going to assume the other person is bigger and stronger. You cannot beat them with force. You have to, them. you have to outmove them. Uh, and, and, uh, it's kind of fun. <laughs> cool. It's a, it sounds like a great focus and, uh, it sounds like everybody enjoys the time that they have there in that class. I hope so. <laughs> do you have any sponsors you would like to mention? Um, yeah, um, inverted gear has been awesome. Uh, I really like, um, uh, their, their stuff and also, um, Hillary and Nelson are good friends who, who run that and they, they send me some of their stuff and it's great. Uh, I recommend it a lot for our beginner students as well. Um, everyone loves the, the inverted panda since I like the inverted guard a lot too, it's kind of extra close. <laughs> That's cool. How have... How have things changed since uh, Ryan was in the UFC and, and what's going on with, with him? Um, you know, um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, not that much has changed. Uh, his coaches were laughing at me because the night after the fight, 
Um, everybody's really happy. We're all hanging out uh, in the hotel room waiting, waiting for, for them, for Ryan to shower and change and, and go out to dinner. And, uh, and he's, he's in the shower and we're all talking and in the other room and, and, uh, and they're saying something and I'm like, yeah, but it's over now. Time to move on. And they all started laughing. They're like, Jen, you can't let him enjoy it for a minute. I'm like, well, he's not, he's not sitting right here, but I, I, he would say the same thing, you know, like, um, you feel like, yes, you have this, like, I won. It was great. Um, what I worked on. But there's also the understanding of, you know, that was the first step for him. That's not the end. That's the first step. And, uh, and we went on vacation, our first vacation since we, since, and I don't know how many years, um, all of our trips are always around training. It was the first time we decided to take an actual vacation. So of course, you know, what, one, two days into the vacation, we're in Santa Fe, we're in (laughs) Albuquerque and he's going to take a private lesson with a buddy at, uh, at Winkle John's Academy there, you know, and, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, he trained with a boxing coach there and, uh, and then we go on our vacation to LA and we're, you know, we're visiting with Kenny, uh, Florian and Ryan's, you know, getting working with Kenny every day while we're on vacation, you know, four or five days after his fight and, uh, working on stuff, improving, getting better training. And it's really important that you don't get complacent and, and ever get to the point where you think, yeah, I've made it. I'm good, you know, because he hasn't made it. He's made it to the beginning. And uh, he's the same as he was before. He's on the mat six, eight hours a day working on his striking, his wrestling, his, his stuff. And honestly, the academy, we, you know, the only – we've had one person come in, only one that came in because they saw the show. <laughs> uh, it was a 12-year-old boy who has Tourette's and was just super encouraged um, with seeing Ryan's success and dealing with Tourette's um, and, and being able to be successful and not letting it get him down and not being self-conscious about it. Um, so that was kind of cool. That is awesome. And, uh, that was a really, really cool moment. He got to have his picture with Ryan and it was really fun. It was nice. Wow. So national exposure, uh, fighting on the world's biggest stage and a person shows up. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you can tell Ryan does it for the passion of it, and he he he's that the martial artist, and he's always wanting to learn things. Like you mentioned on his vacation uh, for leisure, he was out training all the time. Um, oh, just yeah. that passion I mean, is important. We run a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. We don't run an MMA school. Yeah. So, do you know what his goals are for this year? I was hoping to fight again um, at some point, uh, hopefully in the springtime. But we're waiting on uh, the UFC to give him a call and offer him a fight. Uh, but hopefully it comes soon. And uh, in the meantime, he's just training. Uh, he's going to be – He's. I was supposed to be in South Carolina. I'm taking him to the airport – or was supposed to be in the airport this evening because um, he got his flights got snowed out the last two days to help uh, Wonder Boy uh, get ready for his fight against Johnny Hendricks. Um, Wonder Boy and, and the guys at Upstate Karate, Wonder Boy's dad, Ray, you know, they've just – they were just so amazing and supportive of Ryan for – and helping him train and working on his striking. And so he just – wants to go back and help them out and pay it forward, you know. That's cool. And what are your goals for the year as far as uh, any competitions on the calendar? Um, well, not yet. I actually had a bad um, – I had surgery last year, uh, shoulder surgery, and then right on the heels of that when I was trying to train my second practice, I had a bad concussion. And I am still unable to train at all. Uh, it's been seven months, almost eight now, I guess. 
And uh, I'm waiting. I'm in PT and just waiting for my headaches and everything to go away before I can I can get back on the mat. And once I find out when I'm back on the mat, um, hopefully I will um, be able to to kind of decide at that point, you know, what tournament seems reasonable uh, to get to get back in shape and prepared for. Wow! I wish you a speedy recovery. That's uh, I didn't realize that you've been off the mat that long. Um, have you found anything to help kind of keep your mind occupied and keep you keep you busy as far as uh, with that the void that jujitsu uh, fills usually? Um, well, I uh, I just put a lot more time into coaching, which I yeah. think has been great for our program because um, as much as I can, you know, some days it, by the end of the day it's hard because my my head might be a bit sore and I might be a bit t- overtired, but. I just try to really put all of it back into our students um, and try to make them better so that, you know, when I'm back on the mat, they can be better training partners um, for each other and, and help them, you know, be better training partners for Ryan and and, uh, and all the guys who are going to be competing and just training and, and having a good time and just a lot more focus on them. So so I'm teaching every day or almost every day, um, but that's like the most my brain can handle and, and I can't get hit again, so I can't risk even like an accidental elbow. So, so training and even drilling is out still for a few more weeks, but definitely on the upswing. So, uh, so I'm excited to get back really soon. Hopefully, was your concussion while you were training? Yeah, somebody um, dropped their knee on the back of my head when I was on the ground. Um, I was going to spin underneath their legs, and they decided they would stop it by dropping really fast. Um, which, unfortunately, because I had just had shoulder surgery, I was moving really slowly. Uh, and moving very carefully because I was trying not to hurt my shoulder. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and uh, and if I'd been moving full speed, they would have missed me. Uh, but because I was moving slow, it collided with the back of my head. Wow. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say you're you're on the the end of recovery, not at the beginning. So uh, hopefully get on. Hopefully you get back on the mat sooner than later. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm gonna ha- try to get back into drilling. Hopefully, if my PT says it's okay, maybe in a week or two. Cool. If somebody uh, wants to keep up with you and see what you're doing, it would be a good way for them to do that. Um, I guess they can follow me on Instagram. Um, uh, I think it's Jen5050BJJ or something like that. Yeah, Jen5050BJJ on Instagram, on um, on Twitter, it's the same. And uh, Or on they can find me on Facebook. Um, sometimes I'm there too. <laughs> Cool, and I'll put links to the to the Instagram if, if people want to keep up with you. That'd be a great way to do that. Um, Mostly post uh, about the kids program and Ryan, and now about my new baby husky because Lilu is the best. <laughs> so you have a new baby husky. What's mm-hmm. his name? Is Lilu? Lilu. She is uh, eleven weeks old, and we named her after Lilu Dallas from the Fifth Element. <laughs> it has a. Uh, Lulu gotten into much trouble yet? I know puppies get into a, they can be a little bit ornery and full of energy sometimes. Yes. Well, especially huskies. They're so smart. But uh, we taught her to sit, lay down, stay um, already in just a few days. We've had her for five days. So she's really smart. Um, but she likes to challenge your authority at the same time. Uh, <laughs> tries to see who's in charge. Um, and uh, But she's great. Super friendly. We've been taking her to the gym. Everyone loves her. She's just licking everybody and getting cuddles. And um, so there's so many people to give her attention here. It's hard for her to be too bad. <laughs> That's awesome. 
It's uh, it's it's funny how uh, people just warm up to a dog sometimes, and 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 you could what a dog does for people, and and how how uh, positive they they make your day. I think. Yeah, I'm Ryan told me person. when we brought her home that it was the happiest day of his life. <laughs> like better than winning the Ultimate Fighter, better than marrying me. I was like, okay, well, I guess I see where this stands. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! We got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> he's wanted one for his whole life. He's never had one. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's uh, accomplished that, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you guys have a dog now. So that's uh, <laughs> it, it, it. Be a lot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Jen, and I appreciate you uh, jumping on here and sharing some thoughts with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, some of the stuff I said will help some people. All right, and you could be found at at, uh, at your school there at Fifty Fifty. Yep, Fifty Fifty in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington D.C. And uh, and I'm here pretty much seven days a week. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. And uh, thanks again. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you to Jen Hall for the interview. Uh, enjoyed her discussion about coaching and training and, and the way she was able to relate her training experience from being a swim coach to using similar knowledge in different things. You know, like in swimming, they show up every day. You know, it's after school or before school. They, those kids are there all the time. In Jitsu, you have to c- consider that some people are, are in Monday's class, some people are in Tuesday's class, and it could be different people. And as as the week goes by, you need to consider that as you're as you're coaching and teaching these techniques. And also, people are in every class, so you need to consider that as well. It's just the way that she took something from her before Jiu-Jitsu life and was able to use that and become a better coach than that. I'm thinking that there are ways in, in many listeners' uh, situations that they could do something similar. Maybe you learned a training technique at work. You could somehow parlay that into some jiu-jitsu idea a, a way to pick up some, some new training method or or an idea about uh, coaching yeah and you know just with that coaching that they have at their school with her and uh, uh ryan hall it's that's why that school is so successful that's why they're they produce such good students when you have a uh, uh coaches and teachers who are figuring out ways to get that information across better it's just gonna make everybody better so uh great uh, great advice Yep, absolutely. Uh, I've never been to Fifty Fifty uh, School there, but I would uh, uh, love to stop in there someday and, and train with uh, Jen or Ryan. So, yeah, definitely. If you want to get a hold of us, there's a couple ways to do this. You can email us at beachdaybrick at gmail dot com, or you can go to the Facebook page, Twitter, YouTube, uh, wherever else you might find social media people hanging out. We generally will have a uh, connection there. Uh, Facebook is the most common one. Uh, you hit us up with a message. Both Gary and I will see it, and we could usually respond uh, in a pretty quick manner. So uh, it's always fun to, to conversate with you uh, on uh, our Facebook page. Yep. And uh, speaking of uh, conversate with you, we also <laughs> uh, like uh, five-star reviews. Uh, go on to iTunes. Uh, give us a review. And if, if you were to listen to last week's show, you know about Nathan Hadley who won our 2015 Review of the Year. Yeah. So, uh, Definitely uh, get one in and uh, try to become the 2016 reviewer of the have the review of the year for 2016. So uh, it's a great honor to uh, we've only got one person on the Wall of Fame, and uh, you know can't wait to get some more. Yep, and uh, just a, just a fun way to to get some feedback from you guys. And if it's uh, if you put a little effort into it, and make it kind of funny, we'll be happy to read it on the show and and uh, get some entertainment value out of it. Yes. 
Well, Gary, the music is changing. It's telling us that it's time to talk about your audiobook that you've been working on. I've got another audiobook. I haven't finished the last 32 different audio, <laughs> audiobooks, but what, what one do I have coming out this week? I wonder how long we've been doing this little uh, segment of the show where, where I hit Gary with a random audiobook title and he must uh, kind of come up with on the spot uh, what it's going about. That's what, if, if you're, uh, if you haven't realized that yet, uh, that's what's been going on. But uh, Gary, this time, this book is going to get written. It just needs to be out there. We talked so much about being confused at the beginning of the podcast. You know, I was uh, confused multiple times about uh, stuff Gary was saying to me, and and uh, you know, we were. Con- hey, yeah. Can you repeat that? I'm kind of confused. <laughs> well played, Gary. <laughs> so, uh, so Gary, your audiobook this time is called "I'm So Confused." I guess I'll just go choke somebody. And I don't know where you go with this, Gary. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually a, a great book about, you know, we're always going to be confused. There's going to be a lot of times we're confused in life. But what is the best way to get out of confusion and make your life fun? It's getting on the mats. So basically, I mean, this is a very short audio book, but it's short and to the point and it's sweet. It's saying basically, whenever you don't know what to do, get out on the mats. Go choke somebody. Go armbar somebody. You know, use... You know, the 20% of the techniques that don't work very well, like the Americana. Uh, that's a joke from a previous episode. But, um, you know, definitely, uh, and I do think Americana works, but <laughs> back to it. But definitely, uh, you know, the more time we get spent on the mat, the less confused we're going to be. I mean, the only time we're going to be confused on the mat is normally when we're waking up after we've been put to sleep. And we're going to be confused for a little bit. But then what do you do, Byron? The premise of the whole book. Get right back out on the mat, choke somebody, or get choked. You wake up again confused, and you get back out there on the mat. So, I mean, what else? Could, what's what's a better way to have this world? We all just get out on the mat all the time. You know, let's quit work. Let's just go train. <laughs> you know, let's do all that. Let's just train constantly. Let's get out on the mat and avoid confusion. So, uh, you know, just uh, just a great little short short audiobook. Definitely check it out. I'm reminded of the time you you, you could maybe watch a. MMA fight, and you see somebody get knocked out or pretty much knocked out, and uh, the ref jumps in, stops it, and then the uh, person is starting to grapple the ref, trying to get position, and the confusion of things. Uh, have you seen anything like that before, Kerry? Yeah, I think we've all seen, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you you wake up, and you really don't know what's happening, you're you're confused, and uh, so it's going to happen. And uh, but what do you do in that part, Byron? What do I say to do? choke somebody that ref's gonna get it yep he just choked the first person closest. <laughs> <laughs> you know i have never about experienced the only it. time i've noticed it doesn't work and i do put a disclaimer at that at the end of the book is when you're waking up from surgery oh, yeah. it's never good to you know try to choke the nurse or the the doctor or the anesthesiologist uh first of all um because you might pull some you know wires out of your body which you don't need pulled out but uh it's never good to uh, choke the person out who's taking care of you yeah, that's, that's, that's good advice. Really, yeah, it really doesn't work that well. I remember, uh, speaking of waking up from surgery, um, back in, uh, I don't know, it must have been 15 years ago, I had my wisdom teeth pulled out, Gary. And oh, okay. I remember, uh, you know, get the needle put in my arm, and uh, they put me out, you know. I'm like, when will I go to sleep? He's like, just a few seconds. I'm like, yeah, right. And next thing I know, I'm waking up, and it's over. And, uh, and I had, like, a strong urge to go... Not really to go choke somebody, but to get out and go home. And so I stumbled out into the uh, to the waiting room with all these like 
bloody uh, bib thing on and and just like stumbling, they could barely walk, and they they did not like that. It wasn't not good for customer service. I think. Oh yeah, they kind of yelled at me in a harsh way. When you yeah, well, when you were talking about you know when you were had surgery, you said speaking of surgery, I thought you weren't going to talk about the time when you got the your wisdom teeth out. I thought you were going to talk about your gender reassignment. Surgery. Yes. So yeah. No, that's the. So I was, yeah, that one. We I, could, I almost, up we could almost do an episode on that. Yeah, I, I didn't have any adverse effects from the. From the anesthetic after that kid. No, not at all. So. Yep, you just walked out there and choked somebody. <laughs> there you go. When you're confused, that's that's what to do. Yep. Good advice from Gary. Um, yep. Speaking of good advice from Gary, Gary always tells people about the show. And if you want to be yep. like Gary and, and, and good-looking guy like he is, and and uh, maybe you could go tell your friends about the show, and it'll be one more, a uh, little bit more like Gary. Man, that, yep. that sentence sucked, but I'm keeping it. Yep. And speaking of telling about the show, don't forget to tell all your friends about the show next week. We have Roy Dean, uh, Black Belt Roy Dean, on the show next week. and uh, So it's going to be an awesome show, so do not miss it. Yep. Coming at you. Do not miss it, my friends. And if you're in Wichita, Gary, what should they do? You should get a hold of us. We're in Wichita, Kansas. If you're going to be passing through for vacation, work, or anything, get a hold of us, and we'd love to train Yep. Even if you live in Wichita and train somewhere else, we're still happy to train with you. You know, just we don't want to get anybody in trouble, but uh, we're available for training with everybody. Yep. And uh, you know, we promise uh, we'll be on our best behavior. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Gary is uh, usually thinking about being on his best behavior. Usually is the keyword. Yep. Guys, it's been a fun show this week, and uh, I learned a lot from Jen and. And I know Gary did as well. We look forward to, to getting with you guys next week. And as always, stay sweaty, my friend. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>